You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. My name is Danielle Jablanski, and I'm an operational technology cybersecurity strategist with Nozomi Networks. I was kind of pushed into the lawyer path when I was younger. I think I was around seven years old. I made a PowerPoint because my mom told me I couldn't go to a friend's house. And then I articulated and argued why I should be able to go. And she said, you know, I really can't argue with that. And I was able to go. And then they pushed me kind of the law path. And I had actually gone into my program with credits from a local school while I was in high school. So I was 18 credit hours ahead. And to graduate early, I could just study abroad. I ended up going to Rwanda to study genocide. And that just kind of widened my aperture to the rest of the world. And at that point, doing law for a single county in a state didn't seem like it had enough of an international perspective, even though I had really good you know, internships and different experiences doing that. I worked for a local prosecutor's office. I was a victim specialist advocate at the time. But studying that global crisis and, and international law around genocide, which is not a fun topic, um, really made me want to pursue international relations. So I graduated early from undergrad after I came back from Rwanda. I graduated in December, a month before I turned 21. So I was only 20 years old. And I started to apply to grad schools. And I identified maybe three programs in the U.S. that were kind of peace studies based, but had a human rights aspect. And that's what brought me to the University of Denver. So I started out as a human rights student in grad school, and the degree director of the international security program came to me after a couple conversations and get to know you um, discussions and said, you're actually a security student. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, talk to me about maybe your thesis or the things you did in Rwanda and what you studied. And we came to the consensus that my draw was always conditions of a state that would lead to international crisis or that you know would allow for civil conflict to occur. So I mentioned going into Middle East studies, and so I got a certification basically specializing in that because those were the only classes that were open when I jumped from human rights to security. But I also needed a language, and I didn't have one, and I needed one to graduate. So I just decided to learn Arabic, and I learned that in about a year and three months and tested out. I found some funding to go abroad and live in Jordan, and so that's how I was able to tie in some of the civil conflict and the language study to get the funding to go and study abroad. And when I came out of that, I was so burnt out, I just I took on too much. And so I applied to very few, um, basically, within networks that I knew. And I ended up getting a job at the Stanley Foundation in Iowa, which is now the Stanley Center for Peace and Security. And that's where I found cyber and picked up the jargon and started learning the lay of the land. And it really drew me away from nuclear policy and into cyber. So that's the, the critical connection for me was that first job in, in nuclear. Cyber to me was so fresh and all of the theoretical frameworks that we know to be true. And the more I moved into cybersecurity, the more I realized there's actually more day-to-day decisions and impacts unfolding in the marketplace that we don't even think about in academia. 
So it just drew me in further and further and further after I kind of learned the jargon and the lingo and then kind of scoped out the market. And then I continue to tie those together back to this international process of norms and definitions. And it's all still really unknown. So it's uncharted territory. And that was exciting for me in my career. I went from the Stanley Center to Stanford. The Stanford Cyber Policy Center was born out of a program at another institution there known as CSAC. So I got to work with a lot of the true groundbreaking nuclear policy experts. But at the end of the day, I was missing the boom, right? (laughs) And so it, it came to my attention that my career path from there would be basically get a PhD, come back and teach or go anywhere and teach about these issues or go to DC, work on the Hill. And I didn't really like either of those options. And so I kind of took a chance and walked away, didn't use any networking or connections to get a job. I became an analyst for a year, and then I kind of weaseled my way into the OT and ICS world, which I actually joke with people now is me coming home because nuclear weapons cybersecurity is operational technology. We just don't call it that because it's a weapon system. So I joke that it's actually a homecoming now that I've gotten back to industrial control systems and and that, you know, big boom kind of world. When I was early in my career, somebody always told me that you might not be able to tell everyone what's next, exactly where you want to go and why, but you should be able to look back and tell the story. Actually, when I was taking my last job, my old boss said to me, Danielle, you're not motivated by prestige. And I was like, wow, that like I just needed somebody to tell me that to make that thread understandable. Looking back, I've always been motivated by impacts. So even before I did human rights work, I was a a youth care specialist and I worked with foster children in transitional living. And it was always focused on, you know, there's no glory for doing things alone. It was always like this group think, how can we make the world a better place? And that's the thread that runs through my whole career history, which is focusing on human rights, focusing on state-centric, you know, circumstances that lead to catastrophic risks, right? And then that translates into my world in cybersecurity as well. So it was always, wow, I want to make an impact, but I don't want that impact to have my name on it. I want it to be something worthwhile and, and that stands. say that it's okay to spend a number of years figuring out what you don't like doing rather than always feeling like you have to know exactly what you want, right? Because there are so many cybersecurity careers, nuances, and specialties that you can only get to by starting kind of like three layers out. If you're building out this target map, you know, when I was coming from international relations, everyone I knew wanted to be a foreign service officer. And I was like, statistically, that's impossible, but let's play it out, right? If this is your target, how do you get there? You build out this target map. And so you build out that kind of target, right, where you want to be and understand that getting to that point might mean doing things you don't enjoy for a number of years. But figuring that out is another way to get to that target without having like a clear bullseye. And other people like me, my grad director coming out said, you'll be successful at anything you do. And I was like, I just paid you for a degree to tell me exactly what I need to be doing. Um, And we actually just met up not that long ago and joked about this because He was like, I was right. And I was like, you were right, but you have to, you know, figure that out for yourself and spend time understanding what you don't like doing. What I didn't like doing in my career, and I won't say where because it it happened kind of frequently, was we would have existential conversations about really big problems. For me, I really needed to drill in and say, well, where can we then create solutions, create impact, create 
a moment for people to care about things that have real world impacts. And so that's really what led me to where I am now, which is basically my dream job. here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. (laughs) 